All right, guys. So as Bates has said already, we're starting a new series this morning, which I'm so excited for. As elders, we were just talking about the year and the sense of, is anyone else feeling kind of a little tired at the end of 2021, a little bit ready for 2021 to be done, kind of feel like you've been hit by that, that hit and run COVID bus a few too many times, um, a little bit battered and bruised. Maybe you're anxious about to write exams and just all these anxieties and all these things going on, and we just want to do a series that just reminds us that God is good, that God is good, and that life is good, and that God designed us for joy, and God designed us for peace, and to have hope. And so you think of Galatians 5, and you think about um, Paul writing to the Galatian church, and, he, and he's speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, and he says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And you think about those things, and those are for us. Those are God's gifts. Those are spirit gifts given to us. And this is how God has designed us to live. So for the next six or seven weeks, our goal is just to encourage the spit out of you guys. That's what we're trying to do. We just want to encourage you, remind you, lift Jesus high over the next six or seven weeks. We're going to have um, quite a few new um, preachers in our pulpit. So the Kern, Stefan's done one, but Sharon's going to join him for one, and they're going to preach a joint preach um, towards the end of November. Warren's going to do his very first preach with us in One Hope. This is 22 years in the making. It better be good, Warren. Um, can't wait to hear it. So this, these are some of the guys that are going to be preaching as we do this. All right, this morning, uh, before I get away with myself, let's turn to Psalm chapter 3. And what I want you to do is, in little groups, to read the psalm, so whatever version you've got is fine, just maybe threes or fours, read this and then just answer one simple thing together. What one big thing jumps out at you from Psalm chapter 3? It's a short psalm, you'll get the context quite quickly. Take a few minutes to do this and then we'll come back together again. All right, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is, is literally that. It's the words of God being spoken to his people. And this morning as we come and we sit under your word, Father, we want to be changed. We wanted to speak into the things that are going on in our lives, in our world today, in Stellenbosch, or wherever we might be from this morning. And we praise you that your word cuts into our hearts and speaks to us. In Jesus' name. All right, so what do you see immediately in the psalm? The most obvious thing straight away is that you see that David is in deep, deep trouble, right? And the trouble that David's in is seriously personal trouble. Can you, does your psalm at the top, did it start off by saying this is a psalm David wrote when he was fleeing from Absalom? Did it have that little thing at the top? So we're going to go and read in, in 2 Samuel 15, which is where this story is told. But David's son Absalom, and I'll catch you up because I don't want to read too much. He's been meeting all the Israelites at the gate. And he's been saying, oh, if only you had a king who had time to hear your problems. Oh, look, I'm here to hear your problems. And over a period of years, Absalom begins to steal the kingdom away from David. But he's not just wanting to take his, his father as David, if you don't know that part, right? This is David's son that's trying to do this. He's not just trying to take the kingdom. He's going to kill David. He's going to kill David's family, his other brothers, as is kind of the custom in this time. So this is his secret goal. And now ch chapter 15 in 2 Samuel says this in verse 13. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. 
Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. Right? Does this help with the perspective on our troubles? This is David being pursued by his own son. And so they, they flee, they run. You can go and read it in Second Samuel. They run with their children, with all the officials, with all their families, their wives. And off they run from Jerusalem out toward the desert. Now the first thing, I'm going to just share three simple points this morning. The first one is this. We must learn to lay our problems before God. We must learn to lay our problems before God. And the first encouragement, I've promised you encouragement in this series. This is a little bit of an odd one. But the first one I want to give you this morning is that there is nothing unusual for believers to be in deep trouble. And I think that's a great comfort. There's nothing unusual for believers to be in deep trouble. David is spoken about in other parts of the scripture as a man who had a heart after God. This is a man who God loved. It's a man who loved God. And yet we're looking on his life and we see these deep problems. So if you're a Jesus-loving, church-attending, even a life group, maybe even go to life group. Maybe that's you're tithe-paying, a gospel-sharing, lover of Jesus. Put edge whatever your favorite Christian badges that makes you think that you have a lucky charm around your neck that somehow says, I don't have trouble because I love Jesus, and, and I go to church, or whatever it may be. I want you to be encouraged that we should not be surprised when we find ourselves in deep trouble. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't feel guilty when we find ourselves in deep trouble. I think that's a comfort. We don't need to feel rejected by God. We don't need to feel that God is somehow angry with us. Do you know that another name for the devil that scripture uses is called the accuser of the brethren. And what happens in the minute that we start to experience difficulties in our lives, either we get accused and it's about us and what we've done wrong and how God is angry with us and the devil comes and accuses us, or he comes and accuses God. God doesn't love you. God is bad. Did God really say all the way back there into Genesis 1? The Bible tells a different story. The Bible shows us that every, just think through this. If you know your word or if you're a new Christian and you're just starting to read the Bible, every character that you come through or come across in the Bible, you will see a life marked. It's a hallmark with suffering, including our Savior, the suffering Savior, including Paul, the apostle, including all the disciples of whom only one was not martyred. And they did try to kill him on a few occasions. How is this an encouragement, you ask? <laughs> you are not alone. You're in great company. You're in company of generation after generation who've loved God and poured out their lives for God and yet still faced great trouble. Let me ask you, what's the emotion for you? This is what I want you to kind of get a sense in this point. What's the emotion for you when you face trouble? Where do you run? To who do you run? To what do you run? David runs to God. He starts the psalm off, Lord, 
How many are my foes? Lord, he starts by crying out to God. And we need to learn to do the same thing, to bring our problems before God. Guys, and now there's, there's another layer to this, which I'm going to just explain very quickly and we'll move on. But there's an incredible part of the story that we can see that we can turn to God even when our suffering is caused by our sin. So you might not know this, but if you go back three chapters in 2 Samuel and you go to chapter 12, you'll see that this great man who had a heart after God saw a lady bathing on, bathing, bathing on a roof and slept with her, then killed her husband to hide the fact that she was pregnant, and then Nathan the prophet comes to him to confront him. You know the story with the little lamb, and David gets angry, and then he realizes it's him who's stolen the little lamb, right? That whole story. And then Nathan prophesies over David, and he says this, this is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And the story of Absalom, that unfolds. And so David is fleeing, and David is facing the suffering that he writes about in Psalm 3 because of what David has done, and yet still... Where does he turn? Straight to God. Lord, how many are my foes? Isn't that encouraging? Even when it's encouraging for me. Even when the trouble is my fault. When I've told a lie and lost my job. Or I've said something and broken a relationship. And I'm now reaping the fruit of a broken relationship. And it's my own fault. Yet still, I run toward God. I can't imagine what David was going through in this moment, being personally betrayed, not by a, a foreign enemy, by your own son. David knows trouble, but he brings his problems to God. Don't you think we can do the same? So I want to encourage you, if you are facing troubles this morning, and I know, I know some of your stories, even just through the testimonies of the last week, how many of them were around difficult scenarios that people are facing right now in their lives. This is where we run. David didn't lawyer up. David didn't go find another king to fight for him. David ran to God. Right, simple point. You got it. Our problems, we take them to God. The second point is this. We learn to say, but... We learn to say, but, and you've heard me mention this many times before. Let's read it again. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many, do you get it? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. Not even God is on David's side, but you, Lord. And that's what we need to stop and we need to see, but you, Lord, and this is this, this hinge moment in the psalm where there's trouble, 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 but you, Lord. And, and guys, this is a pattern that we see throughout Scripture. It's not just in the psalm. We see this everywhere when you read the Scriptures. Lord, I have no way to come to you, but you make a way. I'm lost in my sin, but you make a way. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. Think about the Ephesians series that we've been going through. I'm so far from you, God, but through Jesus Christ, I am given access. 
right? It's this but God, but God, but God over and over. It actually seems like when you read scripture, it seems like the more lost the situation is, the more it seems like God is ready to say, but God. It's an incredible way that he, he works in this way. This is, and it's not, this is not just a, a caveat here. This is not a denial of the reality that we're facing. It's not saying, no, 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 that's not really what's happening in my life. Just I'm going to name it and I'm going to claim it and actually I'm happy and I'm happy. And my life is great, but your life is terrible. It's not that at all. It's facing the reality. It's looking the reality right in the eyes and saying, but God. And that's what David does so beautifully here. How many are my foes, God? That's the reality. Many are rising up against me, but you, Lord. And then he says this little phrase, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. Doesn't that strike you as odd? A shield around me. A shield's not normally around you. A shield's in front of you, and then the guy's shooting at you from the back, so you put it behind you, then it's coming from the side, and you put the shield. David says, Lord, you're a shield all around me. And his, 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 what, he's, what he's saying is, your character, God, is to protect those you love. This is your character. Not, not, God doesn't protect us from life storms. He doesn't protect us from life's valleys, but he protects us in them. That's, his, that's what God does. And I just love that he, that he has that metaphor of around, this shield all around us. Now, how do you apply that into your life? This is King David writing. We want to think, well, God, how does this apply into us today? Well, I want to give you an example. How do you, how do you say in a practical sense, God, I'm facing this problem, but you are a shield around me, God. I want to give you an example. God in his word has made us so many promises. And I want to contend again this morning that we can cling in prayer to the promises of God in our lives. And I'm going to give you some examples. So let's say that you're facing a situation right now where you cannot see anything good coming from the situation. Every side you look is downside. There's no upside on this situation. Then we turn to a verse like Romans chapter 8, which you'll know, Romans 8 and verse 28. And it says this, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Right? That's quite all-encompassing. In all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So then you simply ask, is that me? Do I love God? Yes. Have I been called according to His purposes? Yes. And then we're able to say, God, I cling to this promise that you will be a shield around me, that no matter how overwhelmed I feel and I can't see the good anywhere in this situation, yet still I will trust that you are doing something good in the situation. And that becomes a shield to us. Does that make sense? Or think about facing a great temptation, right? Think about what is your, what is your kryptonite? What is the thing that just always seems to get you. Whether it's self-pity, whether it's gossip, whether it's lust, whatever it is that you're facing in your life, and you say, that's the, that's the thing that just overwhelms me, and I feel like I have no defense for dot, dot, dot. And then we go to a scripture like 1 Corinthians 10. This is a scripture I learned in my early or late teens, early 20s, and it's been such a, a scripture that I've held on to. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation 
has overtaken you except what is common to man. Everyone's experiencing it. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that incredible? So when I feel like I can't bear it, I, I, I have to give in. Actually, Scripture teaches the opposite. Scripture says God will protect you from being tempted to a point where you cannot withstand it. You will always be able to tempt, you'll always be able to withstand the temptation no matter how difficult it feels. And then he carries on and says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So God firstly protects you from being tempted beyond what you can bear. And then in your temptation says, hey, I provide the way out for you. That's God being a shield around us. Like David is speaking about here in Psalm 3. Does that make sense? And you could go on and on about prayer and worship and praise. I'm just taking scripture as an example of how God is a shield. And this is, this is what David is doing in this psalm. He's, he's appealing to what he knows to be true of God. He's fleeing into the desert. And yet at the same time, he's busy saying, Lord, you are a shield around me. It's not the first time he's experiencing this. He knows that God has been his shield. So he's appealing to the character of God and saying, God, you've always been my shield. Be my shield again in this situation. Does that make sense? Are you there? And then he has this little phrase, my glory, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. And my glory simply means this, David regards the Lord as glorious and as the one he delights on. Think about this guy. He has a whole kingdom, an incredible kingdom. He has all the wealth you could ever imagine. He has access to anything that you want. And yet none of it is his delight. His delight is in God. He says, God, you are my glory. And then this beautiful little phrase, the one who lifts my head high. The one who lifts my head. Let me take you again to 2 Samuel in chapter 15. Just a little bit on from where we were reading. So David flees Jerusalem. And now listen to the way that they run away from Jerusalem. Verse 30 but David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too, and were weeping as they went up. So see this great company of people with their heads covered and bowed and walking, weeping and weeping as they leave their home, as they walk out from Jerusalem. And then that night or a few days later, in the desert, as David is praying, he writes this Psalm 3. And he says, you, Lord, are the lifter of my head. You're the one who lifts my head. Isn't that beautiful? That parallel in Samuel, walking with his head covered, head bowed, weeping, barefoot. And then he says, but God, you're my shield. You're the lifter of my head. As I was preparing this week and praying specifically this morning into this part of this text, I really felt that I think there's some people sitting in the room this morning that you're going to know that God has done this for you. You feel right now like you're part of that company of David's family, walking out of Jerusalem, weeping with your head bowed down. David was humiliated. He's completely embarrassed publicly by his son, Absalom. If you go and read the story, it's a terrible 
terrible humiliation that happens in King David's life. And I just have this sense that there's some that are in that place, but you are going to know in a clear and an obvious way that God has come and lifted your head. That God has been, you'll be able to say this from Psalm 3, Lord, you are a shield around me. You are my glory. You are the one who lifts up my head. And it's going to, you're going to remember this sermon and you're going to remember this part of the psalm. And God's going to say, that's what I've done in your situation, in your life. I've come and lifted your head. And then David says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me. That's, that's amazing. Just that, if we could just settle it, when we call out to God, He answers. And this whole psalm is a prayer. It starts off with, Lord, how many are my foes? Now he's carrying on and he says, but you, Lord, are a shield. Now he says, I call out. All the language, we read this and we think he's like just writing a poem, sitting somewhere. He's praying. He's writing down his prayer to God. And so we too must pray. We must cling to the promises of God in prayer. Ask for protection. Ask for peace in prayer. All right, you with me so far? Number one, we learn to lay our problems before God. Number two, we learn to say, but, but Lord or but God. And number three, God gives us fresh strength. As we do those things, God gives us fresh strength. Listen to this. I lie down and sleep. Can I read that again? David has an army chasing him, headed up by his son. He's fled barefoot, weeping all day long. Let me ask you if we could say that of us. Paul had this most terrible experience, me, Paul. And then he lay down and slept. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me or attack me on every side. In the context of understanding what David is going through, these are incredible verses that David responds with trust. And he says, God, I sleep because I trust you. And then he doesn't just sleep because he trusts God. He says, I'm going to wake up again only because you sustain me, God. God's very sustaining the fact that David wakes up. And he's not talking about like waking up like, you know, you think about dying one day when you're 100 and maybe you're going to fall asleep. He's a real, there's a real possibility that while he sleeps, he will be killed by the advancing army. And he says, God, I'll wake up tomorrow morning because and only because you sustain me. In other words, I trust in you. This is what David is saying. God gives him fresh strength. Did you, did you read, notice when you read this how he resists fear despite all the evidence to the contrary? All the evidence is ten, tens of thousands of men, God, are chasing me, hunting me, trying to kill me. And it reminded me of this, this beautiful text in Philippians 4. Right? Do not be anxious about anything. You should know it, many of you. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you face the reality and you've got an understanding of the reality and you have no peace because of the reality that's in front of you. Because of David's Psalm 3, tens of thousands of people are pursuing me. You have no peace when all of the reality is put in front of you on the table. And then Philippians comes and says that in Christ, we have a peace that passes or transcends or is above understanding. In other words, we still have the reality, but God comes and says, despite your reality, I give you peace. And that's what David is so beautifully articulating in this psalm when he says, with everything on the table, all the evidence is in front of me, I lie down and I sleep. And I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands attack me on every side. And then David we finishes off and he prays again because he's praying the whole way through. And he says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, I don't think we should pray like that. Um, this was a bit of a unique situation that David was in. But there's something here where David is just crying out to God and saying, God, please do something. I trust you. You're my shield. You're my hope. I'm not turning to anyone else. I'm turning to you. Deliver me, my God. And then he says, the last little verse, from the Lord comes deliverance. And he declares that as a statement, from the Lord comes deliverance. And when we follow the story in 2 Samuel, what happens? David is delivered. Absalom is killed. David is reinstated as the king over Israel. But at this moment, right now, he doesn't know that. But he begins to say, from the Lord comes deliverance. And I just love that God gets the glory here. It's like David, I love the link between David falling asleep and sleeping and then saying, God, and you deliver me. While he's still busy trying to run away and flee and do everything he can in his own strength, he still recognizes, God, I'm going to sleep. And while I'm fast asleep, you are delivering me. You are the one who gets glory. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I want to end off this psalm. Well, let me ask you, are you encouraged? I'm encouraged. I was encouraged this week preparing and just thinking through stuff that's happening in our lives and things that have happened in our lives and just being reminded of how God is our defender, that we go to God, that we see but God and that God gives us fresh strength fresh strength as we wait on him. Now, I want to remind us as we close that there is another who faced greater trouble than David. There's a man who faced way worse than an army of tens of thousands led by your son being chased like David was. In fact, David is called the foreshadow of this man. Do you know who I'm talking about? That's it. It's like kids' church. Jesus is the answer. Have you ever just read the Gospels just looking to see how much trouble Jesus faced? I mean, I was just thinking, I was thinking when I was just penning some of this this morning and, and just writing some of the things that Jesus had to deal with. Like, have you ever had to regularly confront large crowds with things that would have offended and angered them? Like, is that part of your 
your job description? Have you ever had to stand up to the devil himself after not eating for 40 days? Have you ever had to not eat for 40 days? I don't think you should. I mean, only three people in the Bible do it. But, I mean, some of us can't do a day, right? Have you ever had to face the powers of the day accused of treason with your life on the line, with false witnesses saying, he said that, he did this? Have you ever had a crowd try and throw you off a cliff? These things haven't happened in my life. I don't know, I don't know about you. Have you ever had a close friend help your enemies figure out how to kill you? Have you ever had to die in public, naked and humiliated? And God doesn't send his rescuing angels to take you down from the cross. In fact, the Pharisees are goading Jesus with that exact thought. When they say to him, look, look at this one who saved others, but he can't save himself. This is the humiliation that Jesus faced, right? Whatever we are facing today, whether it feels like David's psalm where he says, the 10,000 that attack me on every side, I want to remind us that Jesus has faced it and more. And more. Have, have, I want to remind us that have you ever longed for someone just anyone who can truly get what you are going through right now whatever it is jesus does you can sit with a friend and that's a good thing and you can try and explain to a friend and you can take it so far but when we go into our room and we close the door and we go before jesus we go before the father he completely sees every aspect of the situation even the aspects that we can't see he sees. Guys, can you just, can you feel the safety of that for a moment? That we have a God who sees us so completely and yet loves us still. Have you ever longed for a friend? The Bible in John says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. This is what we have in Jesus, the suffering servant. Are you in a situation where you desperately need saving? Well, we have one whose name is Savior. That's what he's called. And guys, I want to remind us that the story of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, is not just a story we look in and go, great, he did it, I can do it too. It's not just an inspirational story that we look at and go, well, I hope I can be like Jesus. Jesus invites us into relationship with him. The one who saw all this trouble, who faced everything we could imagine, says, come and walk with me. Come, I want to comfort you. Come, I want to love you. Come, I want to forgive you. Isn't that the greatest invitation you could ever have? It's not like come to Jesus and follow the rules follow these commandments or get moralistic it's like come to one who understands you completely who sees all your troubles completely who sees your sin even when the suffering is caused by your own sin and says come i want to be in relationship with you i want to be your friend i love you i want to comfort you and so this morning as we finish we look at the psalm and we see david and we go wow we look at David turning to God and we go, wow.
we see David more fully revealed in Jesus, the true David. And we say, wow. And we get invited into relationship with this Jesus. And we say, wow. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you that we can come and sit under your words, sit under words penned by an Israelite king thousands of years ago, which still echo through the centuries to us today so meaningfully as we try to navigate life and all the things that we face in our daily existence. Lord, and thank you that your word comes and speaks encouragement and hope and life into these very situations. We bless you, we love you, and we praise you for this time together in Jesus' name. What we're going to do this morning, sorry, I don't say amen sometimes, it leaves people, th- amen.